The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. In case you're just coming in or new to TBC, what we are doing this summer is a series called The New Chapter. And we ask elders and spouses and staff and spouses to send us their favorite chapters. And, and Dave and Tim and I got together and looked at chapters that might fit as we think about what it means to be walking in a new chapter of TBC. And so we heard a little bit from them. And I emailed back and forth with Mark about Hebrews 11 as it related to Father's Day and being a dad. And so before we look in the text, I just want to share with you what, what he said. He, he said, I think it would be an utter shame for our kids to miss the gospel. Growing up in a Christian home can be a double-edged sword. Our kids know how authentic our faith actually is. If we talk about Jesus, quote verses from the Bible, but focus on external behaviors and don't have an unmistakable living and active faith, our kids will leave our homes confused. They need to see us admit when we're wrong, apologize, wrestle with tough contemporary issues and maintain a heart of love for those who see the same issues differently or land on opposite sides. They need to see Jesus making an impact in our lives. They need to see us in the word. They need to see us be confident or they need to be confident that their parents are gonna love one another or if not still married, honor one another. It would be a shame for the number one recipients of our witness, our children to miss the gospel because they've never seen it alive in our home. But when they see authentic faith in the home, faithfulness lived out through the ups and downs of life, what a gift. It becomes the baseline for their future experience. I love that because what we are going to look at is a people of faith who lived before Christ and who stand as witnesses for us, like we ought to stand as witnesses for our children. And in Hebrews 11, we're going to see a people of faith and they're commended for trusting God. Verse 2 and verse 39 kind of stand as bookends and they say these were commended for trusting God. So Hebrews 11, if you don't know, is, is kind of a survey of Old Testament people who lived by faith. 18 times from verse 1 to verse 32, it says by faith they did this and by faith they did this. And then it moves kind of from specifics to general in verse 32 and, and on. And it says through faith, here's what people did. And, and so today what we're going to look at is the substance of faith. What is faith? And then the seeking of faith. What does it mean to be a people who seek God? And then we'll look at a story of faith in the life of Moses. And then we'll look at the something better of faith. What were all these who went before us in the Old Testament looking forward to? And then we'll apply these things through steps of faith. So let's read the scripture and pray. Hebrews 11 starts like this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and 
through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God, we humble ourselves before you and we confess everybody lives by faith in someone or something. There is something we're all hoping in. It might be you, it might be our abilities, athletic or intellectual or otherwise. It might be the amount of money we have, the house that we live in, the job that we have, our last name, ethnicity, or a host of other things. But Father, you alone stand as the one who can uphold us. So God, would you give us assurance of things that we hope for and conviction of things unseen that we might truly believe that you are and that you are the rewarder of those who seek you. And let us find a lot of joy in that belief, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the people we're gonna read about today, we're gonna read that they or a cloud of witnesses around us at the end of our time. That word witnesses, it's martyrion. They're the people who, who died in faith, right? Looking for a Messiah. They were looking forward. We look back and we look forward as the people of faith. So what is the substance of faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We believe in something that we haven't yet seen. Sometimes people really wanting to press will ask and they're surprised by my answer. Well, Chase, do you know with 100% certainty you're going to go to heaven when you die? And they're just trying to press the preacher and I go, no, I haven't been there, right? But I'm staking my life on it. And I'm staking my life on it because I've seen enough to know. There's evidence in the word. There's evidence in this infallible testimony we call the word of God. There's evidence in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the eyewitnesses tell us those stories. There's evidence of, of transformation throughout the generations and culture since Jesus rose from the dead. There's enough to see something beautiful awaits us. Something you need to know about me is that I am a snooper and I love surprises. And by love surprises, I mean if there's a surprise coming to me, I like to find out what it is before I'm supposed to find out. <laughs> I've firmly believed from a little child, I've had faith that if I can find it, no matter where you hit it, that's on you, not me. My wife does not like that about me, and she's great at keeping surprises. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we, we had an issue where I was going to find out a surprise, she thought. Um, credit card dinged, Chase fraud alert, not, not me, Chase, the, the second Chase, right? The other Chase. 1 a.m., $112.50 at Girardelli Chocolate. Now, 
Bob, she might be getting me a good Father's Day gift, but she wasn't spending $100 on chocolate, right? So I said, no, we didn't spend that. Waited until she woke up and I said, hey, someone, uh, we got dinged on the credit card. Someone tried to spend $100 at your deli. Will you look and see if there are other charges? She, she looked and said, oh yeah, there are two more after that this morning. I said, I'll call the credit card company. So I called the credit card company and as I'm dialing, she goes, no, I bought your Father's Day presents yesterday. You're gonna find out. I said, I will be a good boy. We'll call timeout, right? I'll explain it to the lady. So the lady gets on the phone. So we got fraud alert, these three charges. She said, well, I see a couple more I ought to ask you about. I said, no, that's, that's my Father's Day. Don't tell me. She goes, well, looks like you got a good Father's Day. So I'm great, you know, super. <laughs> that, that's good enough for me. So come to work, uh, leave work a little early. Laura had made a meal for family and I was gonna deliver that meal. So I'm walking out with a meal. She's bringing the brownies that she made behind me and we get out the car and she goes, oh no. I said, what? She says, there's the UPS truck. Get in the car and don't look. So I got in the car and looked. And before she made a beeline, before she could get to the UPS truck, out the guy steps with a box in big green letters that says, a word I love, Orvis. So I knew I was getting a great gift. Now it wasn't a real long package, so I would know it was a fly rod. It could be a hat, it could be a fly box, it could be a bag, it could be a shirt, it could be all kinds of things. I don't know what it is, but I know there's something amazing in that. So that at about 12.45, I'm gonna have a wonderful afternoon. There's something else I don't know about, but I believe by faith, I'm convinced there's something wonderful. When in such a greater way, we've got so much evidence of this reality that Jesus who lived and died and rose from the dead and has said he will return, we have assurance of what we hope for. We have conviction of what we've not yet seen. And the people of God in a world that is always doubted have been commended by faith. Verse two tells us. Well, we kind of, kind of have to take just a quick pause to look at verse three because there's something about verse three that's true, but there's something about verse three in the West we really have to say to distinguish something that's false. Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. We've got conviction of things unseen so that what is seen, evidence, there's assurance, was not made out of things that are visible. God made the world out of nothing. This we believe. But sometimes, oftentimes, far too many times, people take this verse and they twist it. There are people who would have you believe that if you have enough faith, you'll never get sick, you'll always be wealthy, life will always go well for you, your circumstances will never fall apart, and it's simply not true. That's not the testimony of Scripture. But what they wanna do is make you think that God had faith, and if you have faith, you'll be just like God. And so what they do is, this says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. What these teachers will do, many of them on TV, they'll go, we understand that it was by faith that God created the world that God had faith as he created the world, and that's simply incorrect. God cannot have faith because God knows everything. His knowledge is exhaustive. Everything that was, that is, that will be, God knows. God doesn't have faith because God doesn't need faith. He sees. 
So what you have to do to say God have faith is butcher the grammar of this verse, every principle of interpretation, and all the theology that surrounds it. So if someone's telling you that, run, they're not a reliable guide to truth. The substance of faith is the evidence of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things unseen. Well, after the substance of faith, there's the seeking of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God, or your translation might say come to God, or it might say seek God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Well, what does this sort of faith that pleases God consist of? It's a faith that has him as the object and believes that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. It's a faith that believes that he can uphold us by his grace through the shed blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that he will keep us and sustain us until Christ returns to bring his people home. Everybody has faith in something. Well, what you have faith in really, really matters. Case in point, my chair. Tuesday morning, I woke up to listen to and read the scripture. I was listening to the book of Hebrews that morning and kind of taking notes in my journaling Bible. I thought this chair could hold me up. It used to look like this. And I don't know what happened. I might have had a chip too many the night before. I'm not real sure. It was the chip that broke the chair's back, right? But the chair couldn't hold me up. I went backwards in a very graceful manner, as you can imagine. My head hit the shelf, my hip hit the chair, my foot hit the table. It looked kind of like a drunk man on a mountain bike. It was not good. Great was my fall. I believed something could hold me up, and it couldn't. Listen, a lot of you might have been trusting and something other than God to hold you up. A lot of people this week were trusting in a great 401k to hold them up and their 401k looked like this this week, right? It can't hold you. See, faith, this evidence of things unseen, believes that there's a guide and this guide rewards those who seek him and the reward of those who seek him far outweighs all the rewards the world has to offer and it outweighs the cost of seeking him. We must believe that he's a rewarder of those who seek him, but we have to be careful about that. Mark Wood again said, we've Americanized God's goodness. It's not reduced to material blessings. Sometimes it's best seen in the context of suffering or difficulties. He goes on to say there's no mistaking God's peace for anything other than his peace. It's a gift and it's good. You read the life of Paul. It says that he was pressing toward the prize. He was looking toward the reward. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He was looking for the reward, bringing us as a love gift to the Father. We're gonna read about Moses who lived in faith looking to his reward. It's not a rabbit's foot, but faith knows this. Faith knows there's a God over everything. Faith believes that God exists. 
And faith wants to be with this God more than anything. He is the rewarder of those who seek him. So we see those who seek him by faith. And the first example we get is that of Abraham. Verse nine says, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He was in the promised land, but that's not the land he was actually looking for. Look at verse 10. He was looking toward the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham is living by faith in something he can't see, that there is this blessing in the presence of God forever. It goes on, these died in faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They're looking for something not on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. What's the homeland they're seeking? Well, it's not Ur. Abraham didn't want to go back to Ur. If they'd been thinking of the land which they'd gone out, they could have returned back. Verse 16 tells us what the land is. As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city, this heavenly city. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, deeply flawed people. But God is not ashamed to be called their God. We go on to read that Abraham, by faith, offered up his son. My wife is sharing with me this week about Abraham's faith. Jackie Hill Perry was describing it, and Laura was sharing this with me. Jackie Hill Perry says, though God telling Abraham to sacrifice his son is an intense test, it's not Abraham's first test. Do you remember what God commanded Abraham to do when he called him in Genesis 12? He told him to leave his country, leave his family and his home to go where God wanted him to go. So then Abraham was used to God telling him to sacrifice something he loved. Even at the very beginning of Abraham's call and throughout it, God was readying him. God was refining and strengthening his faith. So as the test got more intense, he had the stamina to endure. She says, Spurgeon said it this way, the Lord knows how to educate you up to such a point that you can endure in years to come what you could not endure today, just as today he may make you stand firm under a burden which 10 years ago would have crushed you into the dust. Some of you understand that because you're walking through the fire, you're doing it by faith and God is upholding you and you think I could have never done this 10, 15, 20 years ago, but by God's grace today, he will see me through and friends, he will see you through. Just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we seek God by faith. Because here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Jackie Hill Perry goes on to say, hasn't God always shown up? Hasn't he always been faithful? Hasn't he always been good? Yes, yes, He has, and he's the rewarder of those who seek him, and that reward is his presence. There's a substance of faith, there's a seeking of faith, and then Hebrews 11 is just filled with stories of faith. If you would, jump down with me to verse 23. By faith, 
Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So Moses' parents, Moses is born as a slave child in Israel. The Pharaoh has commanded the midwives to kill all the Hebrew firstborn children. And Moses' parents aren't afraid So they hide and then his mom puts him in a basket of reeds and puts him in the Nile River. Now, can you just stop and imagine what sort of faith that must have taken? Ladies, how many of you would love to take your newborn infant son and you say, by faith, I will put my child in a basket in Belton Lake and just let him float and trust God to protect him? Please don't do that, okay? Moses mom put this baby in the crocodile hippo infested Nile River in ancient Egypt by faith and God protected him God sent Pharaoh's daughter down to bathe in the Nile while she's bathing there she sees this little baby and she tells her dad I found this baby and I'm going to raise it and and listen her dad's not going to argue with her she's the daughter of the king of Egypt huge Instagram influencer back in the day dad's not fighting with her so she raises the baby goes and gets a Hebrew woman to nurse the child because she can't the Hebrew woman she gets is Moses's real mom by faith they saw this miracle happen and Moses grows up and then when Moses grows up listen to what he does by faith He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, raised as Pharaoh's daughter, but he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Well, why? Why would he do that? He didn't just refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, don't miss that phrase. Is there pleasure in sin? Yes, that's why we do it. We think it will satisfy us but it's fleeting. It actually won't ultimately satisfy you or me. It will lead to our destruction. Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Well, why did he refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? Why did he choose to be mistreated with the people of God? Wait, there's more. He also considered the reproach of Christ, the Messiah who would come and crush the head of the serpent, greater than than the treasures of Egypt. The reproach of Christ is greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Well, how much wealth is that, Chase? Thank you for asking. The Pharaoh, when Moses was alive, had amassed a wealth in the trillions of dollars. It's more than twice the combined wealth of Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why, why, why? For he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. Well, what was the reward? Was it leading God's people into the promised land? Couldn't have been that because he didn't get to do that. He saw, but he didn't enter. He was looking to his reward. See, these stories of faith confirm the substance of faith that God is and the seeking of faith that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. 
These stories of faith go on. Rahab did not perish because she hid the spies. And then there are kind of two sections that seem to tell opposite stories, but they just tell truth about faith. Verse 32, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, they were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. We read these things and we go, oh wow, I want faith. I'd like to stop the mouths of lions. I'd like to see uh, the dead come back. I'd like to be strong in my weakness. I'd like to escape the edge of the sword. I'd like to quench the power of fire. But that's not the only story that faith tells. Some were tortured, refusing to accept relief. So they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Destitute, afflicted, mistreated by faith of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Well, what do we learn as we read these stories of faith? Sometimes faith means physical salvation. Sometimes faith means physical suffering. Sometimes faith means physical salvation. Sometimes it means physical suffering. As Mark Wood and I talked about this, he described this as the kind of faith that knows this is a marathon, not a sprint. That faith, to be faithful means to be full of faith and faith in its essence is death to self, death to my desires, and at its core, submission to God's sovereignty in spite of apparent outcomes. These stories of faith believe that God is and that he's good. It's not a rabbit's foot of faith that we have where if I do this, I'll get this. If I do this, I'll get this. If I do this, I'll get this. That sounds great until you stop and think about what kind of father God would be. Some of you lived with a father and life was all about performance. If you did well, you got rewarded and when you didn't, you felt like a failure. You felt unloved, uncared for, less than best. And we have a God who's given us grace upon grace. We don't want a father who if I do this, I'll get this and I'll do this. No, rather, We just want to respond properly to the word of God. That's what faith motivates us to do. I've seen his goodness so much. I've seen his care so much. I've seen his forgiveness so much. I've seen him uphold me, my family, my friends, fellow believers in the darkest of days, in the best of days. I want to respond properly to his word. That's what new covenant faith is because he's put his law in our hearts. He's put his spirit inside us so that we would delight to do his will. Well, these stories of faith, Hebrews eleven thirty nine says, they were all commended, but they did not receive what was promised. And they didn't receive what was promised, but they were amazing people. Here's what 
the word says about them. God was not ashamed to be called their God. They were people of whom the world was not worthy, but they didn't receive what was promised. Why didn't they receive receive what was promised? Well, verse 40 tells us, God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. There was something they were looking to, but couldn't see. What is the something better? Well, all of Hebrews answers that question, but it's not a what, it's a who. Who is the something better? When I think about Hebrews, what I think about is chapter 11. I think about this chapter of faith, but really chapter 11 honestly could be, oh, by the way, look at all these people who are, who are waiting for him. Because Hebrews is about Jesus, this perfect high priest who has sacrificed for us. Who's the something better? Well, Hebrews 1 tells us he's the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature. He's the one who made purification for our sins and sat down at the right hand of God on high. He's received a name far above the angels because he is superior to them. We could continue on and on and on just a few more words from the writer of Hebrews about who this something better is. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. He's crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Here's the something better Courtney Doctor says Jesus used death to defeat the author of death. And then he assumed our sin upon himself to deliver us from slavery to sin. He used the enemy's own weapons to prevail over him and crush his head. He's the something better. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he's without sin. Jesus is the something better, for by a single offering he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. That offering was his life. The incarnate Son of God who lived and died and rose from the dead, Jesus is better. He's better than anything else you hope in to hold you up. He's better than anything else you hope in to satisfy you or be your reward. He's better than any who would compete with him as savior. They would all fall short. Only Jesus makes a way for us to be with God forever. So what do we do with this Jesus who is better. Well, he's put his spirit inside us so that our faith, our belief, our assurance of things hoped for, our conviction of things unseen, our recognition that God exists and rewards those who seek him would lead us to live. When I thought about application of Hebrews 11, what I immediately thought of was Hebrews 12, one through three, which we'll look at. But Tuesday, as I was listening to Hebrews, both before and after I fell out of my chair, I heard a couple of application points. In addition, because Hebrews is not a book with verses and chapters, actually. It's a letter written to the church. 
Those verses and chapters came in later, so they would have read it as one letter. They would have heard the flow of thought. So we're going to actually look at Hebrews chapter 12, then we'll look back at chapter 10 for some application, 4 to chapter 13, to see how we live together by faith. We have this great cloud of witnesses. So how do we live by faith? We lay aside, it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. These people had weights that held them down. They had sin that clung closely to them. They laid it aside by faith and so we lay it aside by faith. Is there something that would keep you from running well to Jesus? Lay it aside and run with endurance. Keep going. The race that is set before us, for some of you, it feels like the last three years have just been a marathon. Is this ever gonna end? But actually, it's the beginning. We're in a new chapter and God would have us run and keep running and pursuing him and finding the reward of knowing Christ until we get to that ultimate reward of being with him where there is no death, there is no sin, there is no pain. We run with endurance. Well, if we're going to run with endurance, we do what verse two says. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Our faith begins and ends with him. He puts it inside us and he will keep us to the end. We look to Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising his shame. And we consider him who endured from sinners hostility so that we might not grow weary or faint-hearted when the world, our flesh, and the devil would try to make us weary and faint-hearted. Well, if we're going to do that well, we've got to do it together. We will not do it alone. So Hebrews 10 would tell us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us trust Jesus together. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We do this together. Well, what is it that we do together? All kinds of things, but I would just point you as we close to Hebrews 13. This would be a great, first eight verses, be great verses to read through, pray about, and consider. Let brotherly love continue. How do we live by faith? We love one another. We do it in the context of small groups, of classes. We love our neighbors. Met a couple that was here for the first time this Sunday. They just moved in from California and a kind Texas neighbor welcomed them and invited them to Temple Bible Church, so they came. And they're coming back next Sunday. Let brotherly love continue. Verse two, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. You walking around with your T-shirt that says, don't California my Texas, and you might be walking in front of angels, right? Show hospitality to strangers. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are in the body. We care for the vulnerable. We care for those in pain. We care for those in prison. And then verse four says something. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed 
be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Well, there are a couple of ways that marriage is not held in honor. And one of them, we as the church have traditionally talked about more than the other. I'm going to talk about both. In culture today, marriage is not held in honor. People try to redefine it. Marriage is, because God defines reality, marriage is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman that lasts a lifetime. That's what marriage is. So we know, we talk about, we say two men can't be married, two women can't be married. That's true because God defines reality. But listen, that's not the only way marriage is not honored in our culture. There's this thing that has become far too normal where people who name the name of Jesus just decide to live together before they're married. They're they're sleeping together. That, That might be you. Keep coming back, but stop it, right? Listen, I gotta tell y'all, there's a a young man, uh, Logan Merrick, if you know Logan, sometimes he sits over here at 9.30 and he'll repeat what we say. And I I said that this morning, I said, stop, and Logan said, stop. And I said, amen, Logan, preach to him, right? If that's you, stop, you're destroying your life. You might be sleeping with somebody else's spouse, You're bringing baggage into marriage. Just stop. Stop. Now listen. Here's what I would tell you. If you are in that spot, in any of those spots where you would redefine marriage as something other than what Scripture says and biology says, or if you would simply redefine it by choosing to live together, we don't judge you, but God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Be careful by faith. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? How do I be free from the love of money? How can I be content with what I have? Because he has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus can satisfy you greater than any amount of money ever could. And money, again, 401k, we found out this week, if we didn't know before, it's fleeting. It's fleeting. So we say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. As I I read that, I just... I stopped and I, and I thought about really from the time I was about 12 years old, there were different people in my life, different men that I could look up to and see, oh, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. That was true when I was 13. It was true when I was 23. It's true when I was 33. It's true at 47. There, there are people who've gone before me, there are people who've gone before you and you go, oh, that's what faith ought to look like. I want to emulate that. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, who existed before Abraham did and was the rewarder of those who seek him when Moses was looking to his reward, is unchanging. His character does not change because it's perfect, always has been, always will be. The God of their salvation is the God of our salvation through Jesus Christ so we can believe we can trust and we can run together with endurance by faith. Can we pray together?
Lord, we bless you. We give you praise and we worship you because you are the object of our faith. Jesus, you are better than all the world has to offer. You're better than the things that are deceiving us and telling us they'll satisfy us today. So Lord, would you help us look to you? Would you help us trust in you? God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you move in us to lay aside the sin that clings so close to us, anything that would keep us from running well and help us to look to you, our author and perfecter of our faith and our prize and reward. We wanna know you and we wanna help others to know you by faith. So transform us into your likeness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.